to think more abundantly about my impact on the world as a whole. I just feel sort of a little bit of faith restored that like we're having a true real conversation and we had no preamble. It was just totally organic, no discussions before. This is real. So I'm just like, oh, this is good. There's some truth out there. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone, a certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. Well, firstly, Maddie, I want to say thank you for coming to the decision table, and you are so welcome to be here. Thank you. I'm really grateful for the opportunity and thanks for reaching out. And I'm looking forward to just diving in, seeing what happens. That's pretty much what's going to happen is whatever happens. Literally just come off a a five-day event. It's been crazy and amazing and lots of clients getting lots of wins. But, you know, it's it's always interesting listening to so many different ways in which people understand their world and and what i mean by that is in that particular company it's working with a lot of coaches and consultants and in the coaching Mm -hmm. industry you know there's been certain standards certain things and it's really funny how one person can hear i mean sorry 50 people can hear one thing and yet there is almost 50 different interpretations of the same thing (laughs) absolutely is that right yeah absolutely and And, sorry go on No, no, what I was going to say was, I wonder how often we do that with so many things that we're hearing and and listening to these days. Oh, I mean, 2020 was evidence that one thing can be said and a million or a billion interpretations can, can happen. Um, and I think as well, you know, the way that we interpret things is based on so many things from our past that, you know, the way that it all the filters that it goes through when we hear it is like, oh, this thing that I learned when I was 10, those words mean danger. Those words mean good things, you know, and money's like a perfect example, right? Some people go into fear when they hear about money. Some people think abundance. It's, yeah, it's the same with all sorts of things, I think. It's just all those filters that it can go through. But isn't that kind of crazy? Because we have all these filters and in a lot of ways, that's what's actually built a lot of the systems, the thinking, and it kind of maybe worked at that time, but I mm. wonder if it's still working today, yet we kind of go, that's what it is, and we just go for it. I think you're bang on the money, is that, and a lot of these things happen in our childhood where we're not really sure about the world yet, we don't have all the information, and they get solidified in our neurology, in our brain, and then every time a familiar situation comes up, whether you're 20, 30, 50, 60, 70, our nervous system defaults to that situation that happened when we were eight, even though our conscious grown-up brain is like, I'm making a rational decision, I'm in control of this situation, it doesn't realize that the nervous system is like defaulting to that, you know, particular event that happened when we were a small child. And then every moment beyond that was just a reflection of that moment. It's an interesting concept, you know, like going right back to your childhood of how that sort of triggered off. You know, I I love patterns and I'm always looking at, you know, how are we wired to something that then gives us a behavior and then what is that result that we're going to get from that, right? And I, Mm -hmm. I talk about when you kind of have this old story of defaulting back to your decision DNA and that's kind of like where 
that became a decision maker for you because maybe something triggered something positive. Maybe it was negative. Maybe it was triggered by something else that you saw. And then that became your default system. Isn't it funny though? We sort of go on about things like this in in some ways, like we say these things, Mm -hmm. but I often wonder how many times do we go back and go, maybe that's not serving us right now. Oh, I think that's the, like everybody reaches that moment at some point where they're Mm. like, with the realization, and I love the, the word that you used, story. It's a brilliant word because it takes it out of the factual realm and into the interpretive realm. And you realize that everything you're telling yourself is just a version of what is possible. And so I think story really, I, I really like the use of that word because it's just a narrative. It's not rooted yeah. in fact. It's not rooted in anything but one version of, that you've experienced. So I really love the use of that word. And yet we build so much on a story. Totally. And then Our whole lives. <laughs> we are so scared of disrupting that pattern to create mm-hmm. what I believe is a new story that every single one of us can do. Well, I think we feel super unsafe outside of our story because even in the case of like mm. people that go back to violent partners or abusive partners that, or the, you know, they're attracted to the bad guy or the toxic woman, they know like consciously in the front part of their brain, the adult part that's like, this is a bad decision, but their whole body is wired for that familiarity. Mm. And as soon as, even though it's like the devil we know is better than the devil we don't, right? Mm. Is because we're, our body is trained and familiar with this environment. Although it's not ideal, the risk mm. of trying a different story that we don't know the outcome, we don't know the experience, we're not familiar, that's too great of a risk for us to take. So we'll stay with what's familiar, even though it's not serving us. Oh my gosh, so much I want to pull apart on what you just said. I think <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> definitely. Oh, wow. No, but like, here's the thing. I always say we don't know what we don't know, but there's a responsibility when we do. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if that's a truth and we go back into our old story, why do we not face some of that old story to disrupt that? What would you say that is? Oh, I think there's more than one answer because we're such multifaceted human beings, beings. And so I think it's, you know, the, the judgment of the people around us. So we've got that social mm. security and familiarity. And, and anybody that's been on any kind of entrepreneurial journey knows that as soon as you start changing or leveling up, the people around you that aren't in that space uh, look at you as like, what's happening? Like you're, you're being different to what, what I thought. Or you go to your first Tony Robbins event or whatever it is and you come back and people are uncomfortable. So there's that social sort of construct that is keeping you sort of from breaking it because you don't want to ruin the relationships with people you care about. You've got your family construct. You've got your inner world construct and the way that you mm-hmm. see, see the world and the way that you perceive things to be good or bad. Like, you know, the money, again, is useful there. Some people think it's evil. Some people think it's the fuel that makes the world run in the best possible way. And so there's all there's these layers of construct that exist only within between our ears. Like it's only between our ears. It's not what's actually happening. It's the significance that we give to events. It's the the impact that we think things should have or the words in a certain order should have on a particular situation. But it just comes back to a belief. And that's like the foundational variable, I think, of all of it is that we believe something is happening uh, and we can change that belief. But people are too scared to go back and virtually uproot the, you know, the, the factors that sort of the, the foundations of their reality that they perceive to be real. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. 
for some people it's a real story i i think there's mm. how we have to go there as well right like so i get absolutely that there's some of the stuff that is the old story that has not served us and maybe if we address that and think about that we could change that mm. i get that what is interesting though is that i think that part of reality is there is some of the story that is really hard challenging not easy absolutely and i think that oh, yeah. it's easy for us to change old story but we have to be real around and i wonder if we're able to have conversation that is about the realness of what's actually happening right now because i think yes we change what is um not serving us and that we are ready to change but what mm -hmm. about those things that maybe it's time to have different conversation in a public forum where mm -hmm. it's okay mm -hmm. to be maybe not at that level or not at that change or and and so here's a conversation i you know we're seeing it a lot right now with mental health is on the increase mm -hmm. and and so it's something that has not always been talked about in business companies or organizations yeah so absolutely maybe it's something we could or need to have some indicators around within our companies and make it part of priority of your kpis well, and that makes me think the hustle culture, like the grind mm. yourself into the ground. Uh, and that's a bragging point. And, you know, I'm a health professional. I work with nutrition and holistic health and that kind of thing. And hustle culture is virtually the enemy of health, like of living a healthy life. Right. And, and you wipe years off your life. And it's, you know, you go to these business networking events and it's like, Oh, worked 18 hours today. Might do some work when I go home. And, you know, it's a, it's a badge of honor, but you know, there's another way to look at that. There's another perception and interpretation, which is that you can work 18 hours today and all every day this year, but you might miss five years on the end of your life with your grandkids or 10 years, you know, yeah. on the other end. And so, you know, I totally agree that it should be a bigger conversation. And, and where you started with that was that, you know, there is a real event for many people in their story. Mm -hmm. So there is yeah. truth to their story and it isn't totally factual. And that be, that's a long, usually a long process. Some people can go through big experiences where they change their neurology instantly. But I think once you're out of the experience and that story is no longer true, but it was true once, yes. you need to start conditioning your environment to understand that this is no longer happening. So when I take that risk or when I take that step or when I have that conversation, what happens? And in many yeah. instances, what happens is not what happened once. And so the risk is actually no longer there. We're expecting it and we might even manufacture it because our, we're so familiar with it. And so I think, especially in our companies and our businesses, this is such an important conversation to have, especially in the Western world, like mm -hmm. mental health challenges are uh, all over the globe. But statistically speaking, the more privileged and the more abundant you are, the more likely you are to suffer from a mental health because, uh, challenge. And, and that goes back to the psychology of choice, is that human studies show that the more choice a human has, the more uh, confused and lost they are. And so, and there's businesses that have failed on that that basis with you know yeah. too many ice cream flavors you know because there's oh there's too many pros and cons the algebra equation and this is what happens with marketing right the algebra equation that starts to form in your head is so overwhelming but it just needs to be a or b or a b or c you know and it's all option i one or love option two. that you do not know how much i love hearing what you're just saying right now because <laughs> here's the thing here's the crazy thing like my husband he will say to me what do you want for dinner because he likes to order things and he goes what do you want for dinner and he'll mm -hmm. rattle off a hundred million things do you know by that <laughs> time of the day 
I don't want to be making a decision on dinner. I'm like, you're the one that totally. wants to buy out. You choose what we're having. You know what I eat, right? Here's yeah. why. I make so many decisions in the rest of my life and mm -hmm. I make them ABC. When you get to a menu at night and you've got to pick out of how many, I go into overwhelm. I go, that is just crazy. I don't even want to think about it. And honestly, I just want to eat my meal and enjoy it right now. Totally. And so I love the fact that you bring that up because I think in a lot of ways, so often it's easy to overcomplicate things and we need to go back to simplicity on things. Here's the other thing that I think is interesting on what you said. I think this whole hustle thing versus where we're at, I think it's more about are we willing to be who we're meant to be in life and turn up as a whole person? And this is where it mm. comes back to what the lens is on the table this month. And that is looking through the lens of humanity as stakeholders. Mm -hmm. I think we have to turn up, whether it's at work, whether it's in our personal life, whether it's with our children, whatever it is that we are turning up with that yeah. we are turning up as a whole person, but I don't think the world sees us as a whole human being. I totally agree with that, absolutely, because a lot of people, like when you when you meet someone, most common question is, so what do you do? And you're defined mm -hmm. by what you do from nine to five, Monday to Friday. And most people that have a day job that I know aren't really wrapped with that, so that's not a good way to define them. And so I think that showing up as a whole person is really important, but you as an individual must take responsibility for setting up your world in a way that you have the energy to show up. And so that's not to so say true. that there's not going to be tough things in life to deal with. Like, yeah, we might have to do a job we don't like for a while to get through, to get the, you know, there's situations that are real. And a lot of uh, life coaches sell the idea that you can be blissfully, happily, happy for every hour of the day. And then purpose comes from human struggle to some degree. And so there has to be some I kind agree. of push, push and pull, <laughs> right? There has to be the good times to give reference to the bad times and vice versa. So I think that, yeah, setting up your life in a way that it's like, each, each with my family, with my job, with my hobbies, yeah. I can show up fully and be seen and be heard and be available for others as well. But if I try and jam all of the things into this same, you know, 10, 12, 16, 24 hours every single day, I'm going to wear out really, really quickly. And then I'm going to prioritize based on my survival, what's the most important. Yeah. And that as a man, that might be in my mind, personally, that might be mm. the priority is to be at, at work 18 hours a day, because the survival, the core survival requirement is to collect resources and bring them home to the people that I love. And therefore, the people I love get yeah. sacrificed. And the things that make me happy and fill my cup, so to speak, get sacrificed. And then we're 35 years down the line and at retirement and miserable and depressed and mental health's down the drain. So I think, yeah, it's, it takes a conscious choice to set up a framework. And that doesn't happen overnight. You've got to build it. I so agree with everything you're saying there. And how do we narrow that gap from what we know is ideal to where the world and society is really happening right now? That's a, that's an interesting question because it's going to be different for everyone, right? Everyone narrowing that gap is going to be different. They're going to have different numbers of things in their day. They're going to give different weight uh, and, you know, importance to different variables. Uh, so a lot of this comes back to doing your own personal work, you know, whether it's psych seeing psychologists or seeing life coaches or whatever, but learning about yourself and learning how you can contribute and learning how you can show up and be better. Cause again, that doesn't, you know, at work in your, in your partner with your, you know, in your relationship with your partner, whatever it is, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes work. It takes lots of uncomfortable moments. And so I think it comes back to in order to be able to set that up at all, 
We need to yeah. understand ourselves because we don't understand what's in here. We don't know what we've got to offer. Right. Yeah, I so agree. And and I always say that, you know, we've got to take responsibility or ownership of whatever that looks like for us as mm. an individual that then goes into, a, a, you know, our sphere of influence or community in which you're a part of. And then as a global space, here's the thing. It's really easy for us to go. What is happening across society is just too big for us to even think about. I'll leave that for someone else to think about. If you think mm. of people living healthy lives, styles having the energy to be able to be the best them and then you know not sacrificing the loved ones like you spoke of as a um situation it's something we can do individually but it also has an effect on on us as a global space and i think that this is mm. when i talk about the narrowing the gap i think it becomes this well it's such a big thing yes and mm. no i think if if we are aware of what is happening across the globe as a global human race, mm -hmm. then we bring it back to us as an individual. What is it that we can own? What is it that we can make sure that we role model for ourselves, for mm -hmm. those that are in our community? And then, of course, as a bigger, you know, human race community, you know, I think that can bring change. But I think sometimes we think it's so big that mm -hmm. even it just feels like we almost don't even want to go there or it's up to someone else. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. And the number 8 billion is pretty overwhelming when you think about how many humans and how much work needs to be done. Just a few. So, just a few. Yeah, it's just a small handful. Yeah. <laughs> so I think people get easily overwhelmed with, with the idea of changing the world. And, and I, uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a famous psychologist, often talks about the fact that if you can't make your bed, you have no right to criticize the world. And I think that that is really apt because it says that if you, that the whole picture Picture is made better by each individual looking after themselves and keeping themselves accountable. So if you, the second you start worrying about the world, if you haven't got your life perfect, then yeah. you've got, you've got some work to do. Cause if everyone focused on themselves and their own life and doing the right thing by the people around them, collectively that adds up to an entire species living its purpose, doing the right thing and being, you know, moral and holding themselves to an ethics, ethical and moral code that serves the growth of humanity. However, yeah. when we start thinking to judge others, to, to try and fix problems that we haven't solved ourselves, then we start forgetting that the pile of rubbish we're, we're hiding is just growing behind us and we're ignoring it, right? So I think I really like the idea of work on your own stuff in a non-selfish way, in a way that like serves yeah. everybody around you and collectively that one percent from eight billion is that's yes. eight billion percent right <laughs> correct and that's what i'm trying to get out there is that actually we can be part of that change that is needed across the globe or otherwise here's the thing otherwise we're leaving footprints uh left behind for the next generation and the generations and the generations to come that is not healthy and i want mm. them to be able to springboard off not have to try and pick up from where we've left a yucky mess for them. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting that you say about the next generation. So I work with a lot of parents that are trying to prioritize their health. And it's, it's this moral mm -hmm. conundrum where a lot of parents, particularly mothers, put everybody in their house first. However, yeah. when we look at it, we look at it a bit more macro, which is kind of what we're saying. If we look at yes. the whole world picture that your children grow up 
to copy your behavior. And so as soon as they so become true. a free thinking adult, if you were overweight and you had, were sick all the time because you ran yourself into the ground trying to serve, they will model that. They will be sick. And this is the first generation of children that mm -hmm. is predicted to live shorter lives than their parents. So it's this moral conundrum of like, helping everyone but helping myself, helping everyone but helping myself. And if you don't embody the leadership that you want the world to have or your children to step into, then they will have nothing to step into. Those footprints won't be there, right? So yeah. we need to lay those foundations by embodying it in a leadership with a leadership mentality and that sometimes that sacrifice of putting yourself first feels a bit morally wrong because society's yeah. conditioned you to say it's all about the kids or it's all about everybody else but actually in the macro scale putting yourself first in that context leads to a healthier generation of children mm -hmm. and footsteps for them to walk in that they can embody and do the same thing. Ah, oh, so good. I love the way you said that. And here's the thing. I so relate to the guilt thing. I used to do that many, many years in my own life. And I realized, though, if I was to do the journey well ahead, I needed to be able to refuel and I needed to have the energy and the brain space to be able to do mm -hmm. what I do. And in fact, if I wasn't helping myself, I wouldn't be able to help others. And mm -hmm. I think that this is such an important piece. But I also think that it's interesting because that guilt comes from the way in which society has has said, I, I mean, I, I've got generations of children, which is kind of fun. I always say I've got the older generation and the younger generation and my younger ones aren't that young now. Um, and I've got the <laughs> next generation of grandchildren or, as well. It's kind of scary and it ages me very well. But here's the interesting thing, like my older kids, mm -hmm. what it was what I was meant to be like as a mom was very, very different to my younger girls. And I know that I felt pressure to be a certain, you know, um, mom and to be the right soccer mom and do all the different things. I was hopeless. Honestly, I went to the school things. I didn't know how to relate to any of the parents. I felt like I was the worst mom out and I tried to be that stay home mom. And because I thought that was giving my kids the best outlook on life and role model the best things and I have to say that I believe that my girls and and one of my boys that's kind of like he's got special needs so he's kind of in that that generation mm -hmm. with me there too because he's very much full-time in our care yeah. uh you know so he and the two girls in a lot of ways had an example a role model of a mom who was very very different to the boys and, yeah. um, you know, I see an independence in the girls that I never saw in the boys. I see this determination of uh, girls with voice that I never saw mm. with the boys. I see this, you know, the way they navigate conversations so different. And we, we have traveled the world with our children before, uh, the lockdown. We were nomadic. I was known as a nomadic CEO and, nice. uh, literally traveled the world with my children. We lived in each other's pockets the whole time kind of thing. But, you know, that's not the norm. And yet I wanted to expose them to other cultures and to think differently and to use their skills to be the best them but also challenge when they didn't know how to do something. And I think, wow, those are the things that I wish I had been able to do better. What do you think changed? Boys. Yeah, what do you yeah. think changed? Was it simply life experience? So I think I changed. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think this is extremely important where I think with the individual we go back to, you can only give out of and teach from and train from 
what you know and where you've been and who you are. If you want to be aligned with trust and integrity mm-hmm. and ethical in what you teach <laughs> and do. Okay, so that's a different, you know, sort of scenario. But totally. but definitely, you know, it's one of my mantras. I will not, you know, I love to play big, but I won't tell you what to do. I'm a global advisor and strategist. I will not advise or strategize with you anything I'm not willing to do myself, which means, by mm-hmm. the way, I have to do it at huge levels and I'm always going up to my next level so that I can learn from that. And I like to have my kids do that too, you know, that they they can realize whatever that is for them, what is their next level to, because we are a human being that is evolving. And I think that that is the best thing that all of us can do rather than go, you've got to do it this way. And when I get there, I'm going to be this perfect human being. Because by the way, I am so not perfect. Oh, none of us are. And I, and I think it's worth noting as well for anybody that listens right? is that this is a journey. It's a journey, right? Yeah. You've got to go on, you know, you've got to have a moment and commit to a path. And that might take two years, five years, 10 years. But the point yeah. is, it's all about growth. And I love that you use the word evolution because we think, again, mm. of, as evolution in this macro idea that it, and in science, we definitely do. It happens over thousands of years genetically. But most people stop evolving in their their own life at about like 19 you know that's it it's all solidified and that's exactly what happens with the neurology in the brain is it literally gets thicker and more solid and all the other possibilities of neurons that are there waiting to be picked up literally die so yeah i think evolution is such a good word and that if we take an evolutionary thought process to every day to every week to every year and how can i be different how can i be better i think that would have such a powerful impact on the world Totally. And here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm writing a, I'm going to be writing three, uh, white papers. And the first one is the need for a new approach to leadership. And part of that new approach to leadership is using mm-hmm. different lenses. And one of my favorite lens to use in what I call the secret advantage is the muscle of human intelligence. I believe that we have within us this data that comes mm-hmm. from so many different ways. And it's inputted into us as a human being. I think there's a lot of humans that don't use that data wisely, that make dumb decisions. And (laughs) But here's the thing, we're taught in society to listen to everything and to do it that way or to follow a sheep or to whatever. Mm -hmm. I think we as humans need to be willing to go, you know what, even if I don't agree with what you're saying, I'm happy to have a conversation. I'm happy to figure out how to do this journey better and Mm -hmm. i'm willing to use the data i have within me to make better and wiser decisions that are going to add value to humanity Mm -hmm. and and i think that if we can do that our world will change but if we are not willing to do that and we let you know it's funny i have conversations i've been in rooms top rooms where we've talked with amazing ai companies and mm. my question to them is this i said i love what you are coming up with what you guys have created but have you considered what this effect is going to have on humanity in 20 years time i wish and you spoke go, to facebook uh 20 years ago <laughs> and they go here's the thing they go we are starting to think about that now we don't have the answers for you mm-hmm. and we're kind of making it up as we go and i go here's the thing when you keep trying to make it up as you go you're going to affect a lot of humanity 
you're gonna you know there's gonna be there's gonna be good things because trust me there's some amazing things in the medical field with ai i'm so grateful Mm -hmm. for both in my own medical journey but also in my son's medical journey if we Mm -hmm. haven't you know if we didn't have access to these amazing thinkings and 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 things that have been created we wouldn't have got to where we are now but here's the other side of it there's also things that are being created that is not adding value to humanity. I think you're bang on the money there. And the way that I sort of rationalize the existential reality of the world is that I'm not particularly religious, but I like the concept as a scientist that everything's in balance. Mm. And so I think that there's equal amounts of evil as there is good. And so and it comes back to the idea of struggle. If everything was just handed to us, nobody would have any purpose. The species would die mm. out. And that's all species. They have to struggle to survive. And it's this deep evolutionary sort of, you know, biology in our brains that's driving us to procreate or to feed or whatever it is, or to be better and collect resources. And so in order for that to progress forward, evil and negative uses or negative applications of the tools we have has to be a part of the story. Otherwise, we would have nothing to triumph over. And so it's kind of with everything that's created, if it's just all good, eventually, well, it just can never be that way. We can always aspire to be be that way. But if there's nothing to overcome, if there's no barriers to, to triumph over, then we lose our purpose. And without any challenges, we are purposeless and there's no point being here at all. <laughs> but that's not how we're taught. I remember I had to literally do a year and a half. I chose to do this to get to my next level. I'm mm-hmm. going to do a year and a half of embracing failure. Mm-hmm. And I did a year and I actually said I'm going to do a year. I wasn't very good at it. So I had to do a year and a half. And <laughs> the reason I wasn't good at it was because I thought I had to get it right 100% before I did anything. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that was going to stop me in the growth of who I am and what I'm able to do across the world if I kept that as my, you know, the way that I think. And mm-hmm. so I learned that and and it's funny because a lot of people talk about failures i don't Mm. i i love i mean i love failure i I don't think of it as failure i actually think of it as learning and development and it's just the most powerful thing that i learned when i embraced it because i realized that there was something i could do there's things i can be prepared for and now i need to have better strategies and tools to be able to do that journey well but Mm. i always go when i'm going through that journey this really sucks on some side of it but what is it i'm learning on the other side of it and it's been so powerful and those learnings have helped me me be a better person but then of course be able to go to the next level of what i do and the evolution of what i do right yeah i think that's a great psychology to take to it you either win or you learn which is you know it's like a Mm win-win essentially but the other concept that i think that is kind of embedded in what you're talking about is that instead of you know looking to lose which is associated you know our nervous system's conditioned that all these bad outcomes are going to happen we're going to fail as a person where our social group won't accept us we'll have no money whatever it is that we can actually take curiosity as the tool to move forward with and so it's you know you can kind of look at it as a research project so all the thoughts that come out of your brain or the ideas currently they're all maybes let's find out which ones are yeses and let's find out which ones are noes and let's take a curious approach to be like i wonder what happens if we do this oh that was a no okay scratch that off the board let's Mm. try the next one it's currently a maybe could be this could be that 
Let's look into it. Curiosity, I think, is such a friendly feeling to move forward. That came out, by the way, that came out so many times when I used the lens of the need for a new approach to leadership was curiosity. Mm -hmm. Here's, and this is a great segue into a question I want to ask you, and that's this. Curiosity is an awesome thing. We know that. Mm -hmm. We really, truly do. We know that it will add so much benefit to the health of where we're going and what we're doing. But the problem is this that the world hasn't got indicators and come on this is that scientific side of you as well right we want the data we want to back it up we want to make sure that <laughs> you know like we're but yet curiosity and yet mindfulness and yet mm -hmm. any of those things that you know the other thing is if we turn up as a whole as a human being like our mental health what are our indicators that we're using as key performing you know indicators in what we're doing and how do we do that without spending years and years and years backing it up scientifically and getting that data by that time I don't even know if the world will still exist. Just kidding, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. And uh, I love there's a saying. So I worked, you know, in a cancer research hospital for seven years and no longer do that because of in many ways what you're implying is that we've got to remember it's a big business and the, the money yeah. that goes into the science research is to support a narrative that supports an economic outcome. Yeah. And in many instances, that is useful in what I believe to be a lot more it's mm. not useful, right? So when we use the word science, there's two, there's two words to use. There's either there's the laws of nature, which are fundamentally true and always will be. And then there's the application of the laws of nature in an economic setting. They're two very Ooh, different things. I like those. They're two very different things. And so I left the economic setting because I believed there was more power and I truly believe there's more power in the laws of nature mm. and not messing with them, not trying to replicate any them but harnessing them more effectively and so hence now I'm, I'm now a nutritionist right so what you're saying is that modern science is now it's just proving old wives tales because we've known yeah. through the use of the laws of nature in and I've studied Ayurveda I've studied Chinese medicine 10,000 years old Ayurveda is 6,500 years old Australian Aboriginal mm. medicine 20,000 years old wow. you know and, and the the point is that they knew these with these things were true but they used a different system to collect their evidence. They yes. didn't, you know, they didn't use microscopes and collect data. They used anecdotal evidence and real human experience and transformation in front of their eyes, repeated thousands and thousands of times over the course of thousands of years. And so it's just a different form of data collection and looking at different indicators. We now do it in science or, or what I call scientism, the economic yeah. religion of scientism. Um, <laughs> and so, so yeah, I think the laws of nature have always been there and mindfulness and, and all of those things, we are able to measure them in conventional science, I but know they exist here's anyway. The here's the thing. I get that we know how to measure them within our own little communities, but as a mm. wider society, we're not putting those into priority. You, we, you, we talked about the health of balance, right? Mm -hmm. Well, part of being healthy and, and our balance is not that we're and, and I don't by the way I don't think it should be one or the other professional mm. personal I think that that's where we come as a humanity as stakeholders we're going hey maybe today when I turn up at that boardroom table 
I'm not feeling it so strongly because I've got this major personal thing going on. How do I deal with that? What does that need to look like for me to be feeling safe today to be able to bring my best to the table? And I think it's it's that tricky piece between I get that we've got some research, I get that you know, and particularly within those communities, it's strong within that community. What the problem is, we are not communicating that to a society that it could be really beneficial for because maybe we don't have the language mm-hmm. for us to know or to put that as priority or to see that this is absolutely a non-negotiable to put in our organisations. Absolutely. And there's another problem with the the way that scientism has infiltrated the world. And that is that if you don't start a sentence with in XYZ study, then it can't be real. It can't be true. If science, like I've worked with scientists, if it's Mm. not studied, it's not true. That is scientists are bred to think that way when the truth, a scientist should truly be about curiosity and possibility, right? And the reality is that People will literally screw their nose up to something and be like, nah, it sounds ridiculous until it appears in a journal that they like. And they'll be like, can you believe this? And it's like, oh, auntie. It's the truth now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, auntie Aileen, who's an Aboriginal medicine healer in Tasmania, Mm. has been taught that from thousands of years of Aboriginal shamans, you know, like. So it's just this culture of it can't be it can't be true until it's science has proved you know economically beneficial science has proven it then yeah. you know it's this conundrum that we again comes back to that lack of curiosity tunnel vision thinking and that doesn't serve growth or evolution. So how do we change that? Conversations like this, I guess, expose people mm-hmm. to the possibility that things can be different different outside their frame of reference or outside the paradigm in which they currently exist. Yeah, and I love that because one of the reasons I I have these conversations and in, in, in my work right now is furthering how we can bring those conversations to bring bigger change across the globe. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things is someone will say to me, well, what industry do you work in? And I go, I don't. I'm, I'm across industries because I think that we have so much to learn from humanity And that means across many different industries and that we have forgotten how to have conversations outside of our own little world, whether it's in industries, whether it's in tribes, whether it's, I mean, the division within tribes of whatever those are is crazy Mm -hmm. right now. And if we can't even agree within our tribe, whether it's sciences, whether it's whatever Mm -hmm. culture that is, right, how do we do that as a bigger culture? I think that's, and this is funny because I made the Facebook comment before about you talking to Facebook 20 years ago, but I think one mm-hmm. of the problems that social media has presented to us with the AI and the algorithms is that mm-hmm. in, in the beginning it brought everyone together and then the algorithms got smart enough that it has actually mm-hmm. put everybody into silos. So you only see the thoughts and exactly. beliefs of you, your community, and it gets deeper and deeper, and, and the f- you get further and further away from different things unless you actually physically type type them in. But with the amount of surveillance marketing going on in your pocket, in your phone, on your computers, yeah. on everything, that it's super challenging. Because what do we do when we want to learn something? The tool that we have today is the internet. We go there, and it's the most biased corporate marketing system mm-hmm. that we can actually access to think differently. So. I would actually suggest, and this is just kind of coming to me now, is that the best way to have these conversations 
is have a human interaction because the yeah. only way you and I can challenge one another outside of a biased environment is for two strangers to go into a room yes. and have a conversation and, and let each other know that it's going to be safe if we disagree. I'm not going to punch yeah. you. We're just going to have no. a chat. So, yeah, yeah it's a challenging environment because I think everyone's been siloed or funneled into these unique groups that have X, Y, Z interest and it's really difficult to get outside that with the algorithms. It is very difficult. But then here's the thing. I think people have to be willing to go outside of it. And, and willing to and lose. To lose. And the other thing mm -hmm. is to have these conversations and be uncomfortable because it's not always comfortable. Oh, that's you can't be comfortable to get growth. But that's what we look for as human race. We want yeah. the comfort. We want the thing that sounds good, looks good, makes <laughs> us look good, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think we have to get uncomfortable and we have to have these uncomfortable conversations that, by the way, in many of the conversations, you may disagree with 95% of it. Oh, I totally agree. And I think I come, for, for me personally, my experience has been, and working with clients, is that curiosity piece. So for me as a young, you know, I grew up in the country in a very typical Aussie family. And as I sort of grew into an adult, I realized that I was really terrible, you know, with arguing with my partner or saying that I was wrong. <laughs> and it got to the point where I'd done enough work that just before I was like, all right, I know the right thing to do. It's, I'm going to hate it. My ego is going to hate it. But who can I be on the other side of this? If I nail this, I'm a better person. And my ego was more interested, suddenly became more interested in like, oh, we could grow into someone and be better. Like, and so, yeah. but it took ages. But then, and, and now it's just the natural reaction is that, you know, the reaction is to solve the problem, admit you were wrong, hug, kiss, move forward. And the faster yeah. that happens, the, the better life it can be, right? So, so true. But I think this is where it comes down to these kind of conversations. The more we have these conversations, the more that we get used to being going, hey, it's okay if we are disagreeing. It's okay if we don't have it all perfect. It's okay mm -hmm. if we're asking questions because we're being curious and mm -hmm. maybe we haven't worked out all those answers. Like that's what I loved about our conversation is that we we can ask uh, questions and be curious and not even have all the answers because mm -hmm. that's what I think is part of the need for a new approach to leadership is that we need to learn how to evolve as a community and realize that as we're evolving, it doesn't mean that we've got it perfect. It just means that we we are moving it forward as what we know with what we have right now. And I think mm -hmm. that that's the sort of thing that we need to to be not just okay with, but work with. And then there's the other side of it. And I always say, so I think, you know, there's this, this awareness piece. And then I say there's always an ownership piece as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so once we're aware of something, what are we going to own? And I think that, you know, this, this change that, you know, we, we know is important. Mm -hmm. How do we start owning that? And I think it comes back as an individual and mm -hmm. then as a community and then across the globe. Yeah, I totally agree. And and on the flip side, this is one good thing about social media. So as you know about marketing, like a lot of that, the really, really good marketing speaks to a core human need, right? Mm -hmm. And so the one of the good things about YouTube is that you can find amazing people that started as nobody and became somebody and, and, and it's not about fame, but you saw someone that you look up to go on a journey and then mm -hmm. maybe they've got 10,000 views and then a million views and it's like, oh, this must work, like, you know, and so obviously people in power can also lead you astray and we've all been there as well. But the idea that, you know, you do have access to the algorithm that can provide you with, 
you know, this guy suggests this and you can get all the different points of view and figure out how it, you know, fits into the puzzle that is your life. And, and I think as well, accepting that, that, you know, that balance it's it's very rare that you stand in the middle of the seesaw for very long, right? You're always like mm. chasing the good thing and then like, oh, going, there's a problem, go to solve the problem, chase the, and, and, and that's kind of the ebb and flow of life is that we, and, and as we get older, this seesaw gets less and less because we ideally have figured it out mostly, but you know, anything can happen. The older you get, your loved one might die, right? So I, I'd like um, to think I've figured it out more than I had yesterday, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> that sounds so, yeah. good in theory, though. It in theory, good. right? Well, oh, but I, we, we apply the theory and hope that it looks like that. It never does, but if, we, but if we can get it to look somewhat like that, we're probably heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think, you know, I teach about creating ecosystems and I think that we in, in both, in, you know, our economic growth, we should be mm. building ecosystems, but also as a human, we should be building ecosystems. And, you know, mm. you briefly mentioned about not being that spiritual, but I think that that's important for us to know what it is that we're called to be, whatever that needs to look like and whatever that form, you know, creates in us. But then I mm -hmm. think physically emotionally uh you know and then personally and, pro and professionally like it's part of an ecosystem and what what we need to figure out for that balance to be real in our world is mm -hmm. what do i you know how do i get effortless flow throughout all of those things to be able to move and afford movement and i think that that's what's important and i think that the interesting thing is we often separate it and when we don't look at humanity as stakeholders we we are we are bringing separate pieces to it and and you know that's as a strategist that is never ever going to function well if it's part of the bigger puzzle it's only going to fit in that area over there and you're going to wonder why there's tension here and friction here and things not jamming in there or it's going too fast for this and i think that that's where it comes back to balance i agree as well uh, the challenge as well is that you know everybody starts from somewhere different so yeah you know somebody somebody that might be in prison today might have actually yes. improved you know, exponentially since they went in, right? Or, you know, you know, whereas somebody might have been born into a family and conditions that set them up to have a beautiful mindset, be connected to everyone around them, attract money, attract all of these different things. And so we, even though we have progressed, because it doesn't look like this picturesque thing that, you know, society says success should look like, we still feel like we've failed, even though where we started was not comparable to where everybody else started. And we might have actually moved further. We might, we just don't have the same, yeah. you know, materialistic conditions to at that particular time. But I think that it's a great idea for, us to all think on this humanitarian level but some people are just trying to survive and they're born into these horrific environments and their progress is just to keep them and their family alive and that's huge progress compared to someone that's born into a situation with the resources to impact humanity immediately you know that but person here's might the thing. Have... I, I want to challenge that because i believe that's still part of an ecosystem whether you're at that point or that point the only mm -hmm. difference is the the capacity and the speed and what that needs to look like is going to be really different at those different extremes. And I think that this is where it's not one or the other, or it's not when I get to that point, because I think that this is actually bringing some division across the world right now, is that mm -hmm. we keep saying, boy, do I hear it a lot. Hey, Kira Marie, I just want to grow our 
our our organization and then I'll get to the impact thing and I go no 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 every time you make mm. a decision by the way you're making an impact do you want it yeah. adding value or taking away from humanity that's as big as it needs to be so mm. I get people have a story I get that we are maybe our starting point is here that just means that we've got to make different steps to get along that journey you know mm. where I am today is not the chick that I was many years ago and it seriously wasn't i i've talked about it many times on different you know uh shows there'll be a different piece that'll come up and i go well if <laughs> everyone put all that together you get a pretty scary story but you know that's the reality mm -hmm. i know it's a journey but mm -hmm. i also know that just because you're at this starting point and maybe your needs are really high right now you can always give out of something within what is in your hand and it might be just mm -hmm. saying something to someone and might be sending mm -hmm. a message it might be and i think that if we can always think every decision we're making is making a impact on humanity would we make the same decisions we're continuously making i, I really i really really enjoy that concept my question is do you think the number eight billion is too challenging to fathom that you would impact that so my thing is, if 8 billion is too big to impact, then there is no hope. And so my answer to mm. that is, absolutely, I believe there is hope that we can reach 8 billion. And it mm -hmm. starts by us being our 1% and shifting that dial forward. Yeah, I like that. I, I personally think that if those people who can't fathom that number think like, you know, back to the Jordan Peterson quote, that if mm. I impact my own home and my own environment, yeah. You know, that's or, or impact the things I do have control of, which isn't many chess pieces right now, then that starts the snowball rolling, right? Yeah. And what is interesting coming out of this conversation is this, and it just keeps coming up with the, using the lands of humanity as stakeholders. Mm -hmm. What I realized is, and, and I continue to realize with the work that I'm doing is that I may be working at this level where I'm, I'm talking about humanity massively across the globe from top decision tables to the front line of humanity going, how can we narrow the gap that what's created at the top is actually what humanity is needed? That's a huge spectrum yeah <laughs> and what i right and what i realized is i can skip in and out of all of that it sends my 10 team crazy but i can and <laughs> i don't expect that of other people but what i mm -hmm. expect is where is your starting point along that journey of being able to narrow that gap for in there somewhere and mm -hmm. maybe you're right on the front line of humanity and yours is that we just want to get to having our needs met there's still ways we can keep moving forward. It might be just at a different spot along mm -hmm. there or on the spectrum, as we often say with different things. And, uh, you know, and so we just like have to narrow that gap somewhere along there. So I think that when I talk about humanity, it's this, mm -hmm. it's as simple as this, that we often identify ourselves so you already brought it up one of the reasons by the way i don't say hey maddie it's awesome that you're on the decision table what do you do because all of a sudden you'll identify with that straight away right which is pigeonholed earlier correct if we just think of humanity first we are mm -hmm. not saying black white gender mm -hmm. we are not saying education we're not saying what you have had access to to what not we are saying Firstly, mm -hmm. can we just come back to human? So the thing that we can all relate on at this table right now is that you're a human, I'm a human. Okay, great. So if we start with that as our starting point, 
Mm-hmm. What can we start doing to make sure that the decisions we're making is going to add value to humanity, not take away? That's what I think it is, as simple as that. And I think that humanity has been this big contribution and we will change humanity when it, no, humanity is you, me, us as a collective. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to take to change the, the billions of humans. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And yeah, I would love to see the globe take on that type of thinking because I think it would transform exponentially overnight mm. if if everybody was thinking that way. But yeah, in the thought of there's equal amounts of good and bad in the world, I sort of tend to think about that humans will always divide by whatever, you know, in, in crisis or in, in times of need, they'll always divide down to the smallest common denominator. And, you know, that whether that's skin color, whether that's resources. Yeah. And, and like I often think about if aliens came to Earth, right, all humans would unite because it would be humans against the aliens. However, on yeah. Earth, in the absence of aliens, it's this country against that country or this Correct. skin color against that skin color. And so, you know, I, I think we need to have some kind of thing that brings us all, unites Haven't us all. Haven't we started having that with the pandemic? I know we could say no, but I think there is some bits of it that have meant as a society across the globe, we mm-hmm. have had to go, what are we going to think about? What are we going to do? And not mm-hmm. all of that's good, by the way, but I think that there is pieces of it mm. that I think we need to keep taking on and keep doing in what we are building out there. Hey, firstly, I want to I want to stop there in that way, but because I think we mm-hmm. could talk for hours and hours. Um, Me too. <laughs> if people, oh, my gosh, it's been so amazing today. But if people are to want to connect with you more, find out more about what you do, what is the mm-hmm. best spot for them? Yeah, so I myself have a podcast called How to Not Get Sick and Die, which is all about what it says on the box, basically. <laughs> um, and otherwise... Pretty otherwise, in your face, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, it's just at Maddie Lansdowne on any social media platform. That's awesome. Okay, so it has come to this point in the broadcast where I do ask, this is the only question, by the way, that I ask the same mm-hmm. every every time, and that is this. Yep. It goes back to the awareness. You know, we've had a great conversation. It's been actually phenomenal, so thank you, and I appreciate Likewise. it after five days of events to have a really <laughs> awesome conversation. And then it's that piece of ownership. So the question I'm going to ask is this. What are you taking from our conversation today? Oh, this is really, I feel really energized and I'm really grateful for your time and thank you for having me on because it's just such an organic and true conversation. A lot of podcasts and conversations these days are so manicured and manufactured for YouTube or for whatever it might be. And um, so the thing that I'm taking away is, yeah, probably you, to think more more abundantly about my impact on the world as a whole, which is sort of what you're talking to. But um, I just feel sort of a little bit of faith restored that like, oh, there's, we're having a true, real conversation and we had no preamble. It was just totally organic, yeah. no discussions before. This is, this is real. So I'm just like, oh, this, this is good. There's some, there's some truth out there, right? Yeah, and I think that that's the awesome thing that these conversations for me is bringing out is that, and and honestly, with a lot of leaders across the globe, is that often we feel like in our own world that we're the only one thinking like this or that Mm. we've got hope or, and it's like it's so good in amongst everything that's happening to hear Mm. someone else 
be excited about the fact that maybe there is hope. And I, for me, that's truly the best moment and makes it all so worth it. But I'm also going to take from our conversation, and I think what I would love to have further conversation on is, you know, those steps along that journey. And I get that starting points are at different spots along that way. Mm-hmm. How do we communicate maybe differently or better or more effectively to those that are in that need space? And I think that that's, that's mm. quite an interesting um, concept. And I think, you know, I've always said to my children, you know, we always need to be able to give no matter what. Like mm. I want them to have a giving spirit. And I said, doesn't matter what's in your hand, but there's always something to give. And I remember, you know, mm. there were times I didn't even know how to feed my children. And uh, I would always say there's always something to give and it might be a, in a word of encouragement, it might be some time just sewing in and helping someone. It may be mm-hmm. reaching out to a friend and, and just saying, hey, how are you today, Maddie? And I think that there's always something we have mm-hmm. in our hands to give no matter where our starting point is. And I think that if I use that concept, it's the same with I think there's always something we can add value to humanity going forward. And yeah, uh, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, okay. Is there anything else? I always want to give space for people to, you know, if there's something I left out or something you feel that you'd love to leave, you know, we're about to finish this broadcast, but is there anything I, you want to say? I just wanted to say, yeah, thank you to you, Kiri Murray, for being real and authentic and yeah, navigating this with curiosity. I think it's been a, an amazing mm. conversation. And I think you're really good at it. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. And thank you for being so willing. And I love, by the way, the health industry. And I've always wanted to have a lot more involvement in there because I have a a real uh, connection to it because I've had to go through it, not just Mm -hmm. in my own personal life when I ended up in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. um, and told I'd never walk again, but also with my son who was uh, born with a lot of special needs. And I think that this, what I love is having conversations with very smart people who know their industry, know mm-hmm. the impact of, you know, the research, but also are curious to mm-hmm. going, how do we bring in? And I love the fact that you said, I've done all these different learnings from different areas. And I go, I wish more in the medical industry would do that. So thank you for being willing to do that and and being willing to um, have a conversation with me today. So I'm going to end the broadcast. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.